90s footy fans, welcome to episode 60 of the 90s Club Footy Podcast. This week we chat with former Geelong defender Stephen Hocking. Stephen began his VFL AFL career with the Geelong Football Club in 1984 and played in the blue and white hoops for 11 seasons. He played a total of 199 games and was a member of the 1989 and 1994 grand final teams. Since retirement, Stephen has worked as General Manager of Football Operations at the AFL and is currently the Geelong CEO. In this episode, Stephen talks about that fierce rivalry against Hawthorne, playing alongside brother Gary, the grand final losses, whilst reflecting on the Cats' 2022 Premiership win. I hope you enjoy the 60th member of the 90s Club Footy Podcast, Stephen Hocking. Steve Hocking, a big thank you for joining me on the 90s Club Footy Podcast. Absolutely terrific to have you on, especially being a, a Mad Cats fan, mate. I'm excited about uh, having a chat and reflecting on your footy journey. Thanks, uh, Trent. Yeah, great to uh, great to be part of it. I appreciate the invite. And I, I can't believe I'm being taken back to the 90s. <laughs> That's a long time ago. <laughs> mate, as we know, you're heading into your second season uh, of CEO as a Geelong Cat. How are you enjoying the role after spending the previous few seasons at AFL House? Look, I've really enjoyed it. Um, it's it's sort of like I've um, come back into family. Uh, it's obviously quite a familiar um, uh, place uh, to me. Um, and so it certainly made the decision to uh, return to the club uh, yeah, so much easier. Um, uh, look, I couldn't have been more impressed with uh, you know, the people here, um, the opportunity that presented itself here. Uh, it was not something I was ever aiming to be. Um, you know, a lot of people sort of feel like I was working my way towards being a CEO at, at the Cats, and it wasn't the case. I, I loved my role at the AFL. Um, I had four years there and th- thoroughly enjoyed it and, and was probably really going to continue, um, you know, within that role. But uh, COVID hit and we did sort of two years of heavy lifting to uh, keep the competition going, which was really important to us. Um, in terms of keeping um, the community engaged in sport, you know, we were really mindful of how important football continuing was and, and Gil and McLaughlin led the charge on that. So having done two years of that heavy lifting, um, this this role became available and, uh, yeah, I, you know, I felt like it was a, a great opportunity to come back and, and apply, you know, some of my learnings um, from the varied roles I've had in football over time. So, yeah, thoroughly enjoying being back here and uh, looking forward to year two. I guess we could talk all all day about you know how great 2022 is, but 2023 is a new year and so forth. But I'm really interested just finding out from a CEO's perspective, how much the premiership meant to you last year. Obviously, grand final day, we saw the likes of Danger and uh, Salwood and, and Hawkins and, and Chris Scott and what it meant to them. But from a CEO's perspective, what, what did the premiership win mean to you last year, Hawk? Yeah, I think, Trent, it's, it's a really good question, that one, um, which I think at times probably doesn't get asked. Um, and and maybe when it does, you know, we, we, we're not necessarily that transparent about it. But, um, you know, having shown up here at, uh, 
you know, GMHBA Stadium, Cadinia Park that everyone resonates with as a 17-year-old and, and, and you know, being able to walk out onto the ground and see all the uh, cars, um, you know, passing by in Marble Street, you know, because it was so underdeveloped at that time and, and now looking at it as a, as a stadium was was quite extraordinary. I, I think for me it's it was a combination of all of that. You know, the 17-year-old here showing up in 1983 um, to all of a sudden in 2022, you, you're sitting, um, you know, fully immersed and, and you're a central um, figure and leader um, in, in, you know, the club's success in 2022. It's pretty special. Um, having not been able to achieve it through the late 80s, early 90s, but particularly 90s as a player, that ultimate success, it, it does burn deeply in you. Um, and so for me, you know, I've been fortunate and I'm one of the fortunate players uh, to have been able to find their way into this type of role and actually make a contribution, um, as small as it may be, um, it's a really nice feeling to to be part of, um, you know, what the team achieved. And and the other big thing for me is having been a player, understanding that every player that walks through our doors here, whether it be you know female or male, they're Geelong players, and they've got a really short and finite period in their life where, you know, they've got this opportunity to play at the elite level. And so that's never been lost on me. And and what we do here um, through our leadership team, whether it be, you know, um, Chris Scott, um, uh, from the board down, amazing board led by uh, Craig Drummond, um, my executive team, you know, right through to the football executive team as well. It is about setting up an environment where our players can be the best they can be. And giving them the best opportunity for success because it's it's such a finite time in their career, mm. and we all work for them. You know, it's 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 not about me having a successful CEO career. It's about whilst I'm here contributing as a custodian of the club as I pass through, and just leaving it a better place than what I found it. And um, and so that's what I've been mindful of. So that's that's a long winded answer. To, it was bloody special, but I think it's important to share, you know, a little bit of what my journey's been like to then encounter that. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I'm very, very fortunate. I feel very grateful. Yeah, it was a terrific day. It, uh, I, and, you know, I'm a Madge Long supporter. I've been to all the premiership wins over the last few years. And I still think, you know, last year for me just felt like one that was, probably the most special. The cats had been written off. The age of the list had been questioned a number of times. And just the way that they played their footy last year was um, was sensational. So, no, it was, a, it was a terrific year. We could talk all about it uh, all day, Halk, but I want to talk about you, mate. Can I, can I just uh, touch on, on what you've shared there? I think it's a really good insight that you've, you've shared as to the, you know, the season we had. Um, you know, what what's not lost on me with that is um, it was – it was really important for us to connect coming out of COVID with all of our people. So, you know, members and and our supporters, our fans overall, because there was a real disconnect across those couple of years Mm. um, and and you couldn't attend football. And and so for us to come out and be part of that first, you know, grand final back at the MCG, you know, first time 100,000 has been there for, you know, a number of years, to be part of that, again, you know, we're just grateful and, and very appreciative that we're able to, you know, become that team that we thought we could um, and we've been working towards over, you know, a long period of time 
And then to to achieve that through a number of ways, it wasn't just um, the experienced players, it was also all of the introduction of the younger players. So the, the blend of the team is what excited us most. And then how we how we um, made sure that the entire list of 40, 43, 44 players was able to support where we wanted to go across the year and how we managed the team across the year and, and how they developed their form and their connection over the year. I think sort of early people thought, well, we're just amongst the rest of the group. And then we sort of got, you know, to that um, back end of the season and we started to separate ourselves out from the rest and and then they just had such belief and confidence in one in one another it was an amazing coaching performance it was an amazing playing performance and um you know they're, they're hard to win Trent they're really really difficult to win and and to you know to pull together the way we did and I, I thought it was I, I think it's one of um Geelong's best um ever team performances uh, you know on the most important day of, of the year and so many of us as Geelong followers and supporters have been scarred over time <laughs> you know it was it, we were, I think we're all just so appreciative as to the complete performance of the playing group and the coaching group to live it on the day I, I thought it was just selfless you know from um, Joel uh, with his Levi Ablett moment right through to you know when we're wrapping things up at the back end of the day and you know Joel's pulling Sammy Morford um, out of the grandstand and you know, handing boots to people and all the other stuff that went on in between. I, I just, I, I thought it was a, a genuine Geelong, um, you know, reflection of our community and, and our club and and our people. Let's look back in the uh, the mid eighties. Uh, you made your way to Cadinia Park, Steve. Um, how did that all occur? The boy from Cobram. How'd you make your way into the the blue and white hoops? Um, so, Trent, it was uh, the the. Uh, region I came from, Cobram, um, I played in the Murray League up there and and that region was the zone. It was a VFL competition then and so we were zoned to um, Geelong Football Club and, and that's how. Uh, Bill McMaster was the recruiting um, Bronco. Uh, McMaster, he was the recruiting manager at that time and Stephen Wells was working underneath him. <laughs> Stephen's still going around now, which is quite extraordinary. We're very thankful that he is. But, uh, yeah, Bill... Um, Bill, Bill used to head into the country areas and he would quite often attend the races and then show up at the back end of the game and then he'd have his spotters um, and, uh, and you know, get fed all the information as to who who, who was who and, and who played well and he'd take that information back here. So, uh, look, I was very fortunate to be aligned to Geelong. It was a natural uh, fit coming out of a really small country town of about 4,000 people. Um, you know, down to to Geelong, and that was 1983 when I landed here as a 17 year old. Directly down the ground to half forward, it's becoming, as Don said, pretty slippery. Picked up for the Cows of Melbourne player down at Steins. In the meantime, Stephen Hocking breaks clear up towards centre field. Oh, beautiful mark taken by Drum. A real slider, wet weather football at its best. After two games in your first season, you're able to forge a spot in the team over the next few seasons, pretty um, with a fair bit of continuity. From a statistical point of view, it looks like um, you know you settled into the level pretty well at a pretty young age, Hawk. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a good call out. I, I sort of don't I don't reflect on that too much um, uh, because um, it's so long ago. But um, 
uh, look, I, I, I sort of think back to the time and it was under Tom Hafey's stewardship. Uh, there was a gentleman by the name of David Whedon that was uh, one of the assistant coaches at, at that time. Um, I was very fortunate uh, to have him sort of um, taking under under his wing. Um, I was I was actually doing a bricklaying apprenticeship at the time because it was part time, and so I was I was seriously fit and and really hard. Um, you know, lugging um, packs of bricks and <laughs> building chimneys and doing all sorts of stuff and concreting a whole host of things. I used to combine that with playing um, and and still come down and do all the training of, of, of an evening after hours. <laughs> but um, I, I loved it. I wouldn't I wouldn't you know swap it at all. It had me hardened. I think that helped. It meant I, I, I missed very few training sessions. It meant I, I missed very few games as well. And I think it sort of gave me that opportunity to have the 10,000 hours. I think the other part was the country upbringing. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm one of um, four siblings, uh, three boys. Um, the, you know, the area that we, we were raised in was was within um, affordable housing. And and so, you know, the Hocking family home was, was a place of, um, congregation by a lot of um, the local youngsters, and and we would play during the the, the winter and summer school holidays. Um, you know, we'd mow, we'd we, we'd take the uh, the family lawnmower across to mow the you know the test pitch <laughs> into the park at the back. Um, we'd take the tennis ball up, you know, and we'd play games. We'd play test match cricket across, you know, twenty days. Um, those those games would go for. We do very similar with footy as well during the winter, and and you know we'd be quite inventive in the way we played as well, and you know smaller numbers, all that type of stuff, and we were super competitive. You know, we three boys, obviously Gary went on to play, older brother Craig, who um, who uh, was was very successful sports person as well, particularly through that uh, Murray League competition. He was an excellent cricketer. Um, but tried out at Geelong. Um, yeah, we were we were just super competitive kids that uh, love sport, and and I think that gave me a great grounding for when the opportunity did come, and and when it came, um, because of some of those background experiences, it was a case of let's grab a hold of this and 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 make it work. Funny you speak about that competitive nature amongst the the hocking boys. My next question leads to uh, your brother Gary. He came to Geelong a couple of seasons later. Obviously, you know, those battles in the backyard, it must have been really nice to turn those into being teammates and, and going to war with one another on a weekend on a Saturday in the VFL. Yeah, definitely, Trent. It would, look, it, it was interesting. As we are growing up, <laughs> there's a sister between Gary and I, so there, there is a, a bit of difference um, age-wise. But, um, yeah, we, we often uh, found uh, with Gary that um, – yeah, as often happens, the siblings got better ability-wise as as you went down the lineage, <laughs> and uh, and that certainly happened with Gary. Now, Gary was everyone talked about how blessed he was both sides. What we were doing is as youngsters, um, my older brother Craig and myself, we would we would have kick to kick in the backyard or out on the road, often breaking windows in the street um, because you know there was some errant kicking going on. Um, and some competitive juices flowing at times, <laughs> um, and we'd be end to end, and 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 Gary would sort of run between the two and try and take us on, and we would uh, at times allow that to happen only if he kicked on his non-preferred, and so we 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 just tormented him um, 
constantly as far as that went. And so by the time he was sort of, you know, 14, 15, 16 years of age, you couldn't tell the difference between either side. And so by the time he became that player at this level, um, he was a natural. And I, I think he was sort of ahead of his time on that, um, whereas, you know, people will possibly remember my awkward uh, non-preferred kicking style where I used to <laughs> have the ball sitting on the top of my palm and I'd have the palm underneath the ball to try and guide it down and I sort of learned that off Ron Barassi after reading some books. But um, Gary, it, it came natural to him because he realised that he couldn't beat the two of us. So he had to join in and, and uh, you know, um, uh, join in the party as to, you know, the rules that we had set up for engagement. And it really did make a difference to him. Oh, he was a beautiful left foot kick. And I think of, uh, you know, another bloke, uh, Leon Cameron was great on both yeah. sides of the body. And I reckon, I reckon Buddha was, uh, you know, just as good on both sides like Camo was. Yeah, he was. Yeah. And then he was, he was just super competitive as well. I mean, that, you know, that was the big thing. We, 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 we did love, you know, the, the backyard, whether it was just, we'd get on bikes or scooters or, um, you know, basketball or whatever it was, table tennis, um, tennis, like, the amount of broken rackets that would come back after a tennis match with Gary was, was quite extraordinary. And um, the table tennis uh, bat was often used as a frisbee um, that, that was used to try and sort of, you know, um, wind you in your windpipe um, often because you were beating him. And that, and that was the competitiveness that just developed. I, I, I was always a slow and painful type. I, I loved a, um, a long game and a, and, and a game that went on for some time. So I was, I was happy to torment the younger brother. <laughs> I'm interested in the battles against Hawthorne, mate. And I guess over time in your early days, and, you know, the, the rivalry still continues, that the battles against Hawthorne were really epic. Um, you know, I look at the the battle in 1985 where Lee Matthews had that famous hit on Neville Bruns. I know you stepped in to, uh, to, to fight for your teammate that day, the 89 grand final. And then you look at the current day with the fierceness rival that these two two sides have had. Can you give me a bit of an insight on what the fierceness of these matches against Hawthorne were like back, I guess, late 80s, early 90s? Yeah, look, they, they were incredible. Um, there's no doubt um, that, that's certainly probably been one of our main rivals over a long period of time. Um, the 80s and 90s, what, you know, if I can cast the listeners' minds back to the 80s, Hawthorne were the most dominant team. I think was it was it something like five day and five night? Yeah, I reckon. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah, that sort of comes to mind for me, which is just extraordinary over over a decade. Um, and and you know they they were just so dominant, but so strong. You know, from end to end, like even just full back to full forward, like their lines. You know that that spine was just quite extraordinary. What we were, we, we were sort of up and coming um, young bucks that were trying to sort of make their way. Um, you know, you, you, you think about you know guys like you know Tim Darcy and Mark Yates and Mark Boss. You know, great players. You know, Neville Bruns and the, and the list goes on. You know, Bearstow, Couch. Um, uh, um, you know, my brother Gary. Like, it, there was just so many good players from our end. Gary Ablett Senior. There was also that rivalry that Gary Senior had been at Hawthorne. Mm. and I've done the pre-season and so forth, and they spat him out, you know, didn't want to really, um, you know, work with him and, and understand him. You, you need to fit into their system, um, even though they had guys like Brereton and, and, you know, they were happy to sort of drive around in some flash cars and be a little bit uh, a, a bit different. 
they tended to fit into the Hawthorne model and, and really work that sort of selfless model. Whereas we we had a lot of individual talent and um and and so all of that sort of went into the melting pot. And we were, you know, we were we were almost the next group um that were coming through to challenge how superior they were as a team. And I think that's sort of where it it came from. Um you know, 85 was quite extraordinary as to, you know, what we went through. Um, I think about 89 and then some of the stuff that we went through at Princess Park, I think, you know, 52-point turnaround or something, you know, some just epic battles. Uh, you get through to the grand final, we end up, you know, a goal, um, being beaten by a goal in the 89 grand final, all the Brereton Yates stuff and how that played out from that game during the year. And, you know, Malcolm Blight will say that he wasn't behind it. Yes, he was. He did set all that up to to return, um, you know, um, some contact back uh, Brereton's way. So yeah, all of that went on, and and as I say, we were young, enthusiastic, and and felt like we could actually do something. But they were they were hard to get past mm. that team, you know, because they were so dominant through that period. Crocker snaps, and the ball oh, pitches back. It's still not gone across the line. Well, how about that? Stephen Hawking comes away quite remarkably. Finds Poole, runners on down the ground. Barnes is there. Buse is there. You played predominantly as a defender, and this is during yeah you know, my memory, probably in the mid uh, you know, in the early nineties. The nineties football was a real attacking brand of footy. It was high scoring. You look at the full forwards that were in each of the sides: Kernahan, Modra, Ablett, Sumich, uh, Dunstall, Lockett. These sort of players playing the role as a defender must have been a tough one because the ball was coming in so quick that, you know, you yeah. would have had to be on your toes and probably playing on those small nippy ones that would have been lurking around the feet of these uh, these gun forwards. Yeah, look, it, it, and it was one out too, Trent. You know, you, yeah. you now, you, you watch team defence and there's two or three that come in to help you out. And, yeah, and yeah you, you're often exposed. Um, you know, my, my nightmares were often Peter Dacos and um, and I actually I, I bumped into Peter on um, Friday night at uh, our game versus Collingwood just in the car park. Now, I had I hadn't seen him for a long period of time, and that will probably amaze a number of your listeners because um, you sort of think you would cross paths, but we actually we haven't, and it's the first time I've seen him um, you know, up close and personal like that since we finished playing. And I and I, you know, we we sort of just reacquainted ourselves. And I just said to him, I said, "You're still the best player I ever played on," um, and uh, and and that was the case. You know, there there was just so many dynamic forwards. To your point, the ball came in quickly. It, it definitely moved um, up and down the ground in a in a different way because it was much more sort of man on man um, uh, back then. Uh, the way that the team tactics work and team defence wasn't wasn't part of the game uh, through that time. I, I think the emergence of the 90s and the scoring that you're acknowledging came out of 1989 and, you know, it was almost like what Malcolm Blight brought to the game was just this dynamic attacking um, style of football and, and you know, it, it was real for him. If, if, if Hawthorne kicked 25 goals, we just needed to kick 26. Yeah. And, and that was the mentality. That's how we were encouraged to play. Um, and and you know he would set it up regularly like that um, to to um, empower the the team that he he had um, you know taken on to coach and so he really drove that you, you sort of think I think it was 1992 where we kicked the highest score 
um, against uh, the Brisbane Bears up at Metricon uh, that it's known as now. Actually, I think it's changed again. I think it's Heritage Stadium now. Um, and and we uh, we were able to do that, and it still stands to this day. Um, and, you know, what a lot of the listeners won't realise is in that particular game, I had six goals kicked on me at fullback because everyone You played else Johnny Hutton, did you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, Tim Darcy would normally take John Hutton, and for some reason, um, I got the helmet of um, John Hutton, and uh, and yeah, he, he took me to the cleaners on that particular night. But uh, yeah, we, we, you know, that was an incredible f- performance. And I think it was quite reflective of how Melbourne coached and and how he liked us um, to to play overall, and and that sort of, I think that drove a lot of that attacking flair because you think about. Um, Essendon, you know, you, you got Salmon at one end and Gary Abbott Senior at the other, and and it's like a shootout. Yeah, you know, the, like the OK Corral, and you got you know the two guns at either end, and they're just they're kicking goal after goal. <laughs> the Cats made the grand final in 1992, Steve, and unfortunately you weren't able to get the job done. You played in the qualifying final, but but missed the the rest of the final series. Was that due to injury or form or team balance? I was trying to do a bit of research on you know, why you weren't a part of it because you were sort of a, you know, a real good staple of that side over that journey. Yeah, it's um, what, what happened was I, I, I went down to pick up a ball and, um, and, and, and sort of re- reached out and Doug Hawkins were playing uh, Bulldogs at uh, the MCG and he, he uh, broke the collarbone. And, and so I, I needed um, some surgery to, to repair that and that took me out of action. So I missed the 92 one. So I ended up playing 89 and, and 94. And, um, yeah, you know, we sort of, we got close in 89. We got further and further away by the time, you know, I sort of got to 94 when I retired. And then 95, got, you know, got even further away. <laughs> 94 was an interesting year. And, I, you know, as a 12-year-old, I went to a couple of these finals games. And it was an amazing final series. And it was your last year playing in the hoops as well. A grand yeah. final appearance occurred, but before we we sort of made grand final, it was a, what a series to be a part of. It was the thrilling win against Footscray, and then obviously North Melbourne, and then in between there, that was that match against Carlton at Waverley with a really undermanned squad with the injuries that come from Footscray. That must have yeah. been a pretty great final series to be a part of, with just the games leading into the grand final to be uh, to be playing in. Trent, I haven't thought about the, these games at all. <laughs> Sorry, Hawk. No, it's uh, thank you for taking me back there. It, it brings back really fond memories, but it's just not something you reflect on because you you know you're busy in the day that you're doing um, at that time. Um, what I remember was um, yeah that that Bulldogs final and then going into the Carlton one and remembering Malcolm Blight walking into the team meeting room and just being dour and and almost without hope, which is really unusual for Blighty um, to 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 be that way. And what it did, and you know, maybe maybe this was his psychology, um, because he certainly played that card often, Malcolm, as far as the psychology piece, he understood it. We all sort of came together um, after that as we came out of the training session, knowing that um, you know certain players were going to be unavailable. And you know, we're we're talking about you know people like my brother, and um, I, I think there was like something like three or four top liners that that missed that game. Might have even been more than that in the I end. I reckon. I reckon it was Kenny Hinckley. I reckon Couchy didn't play. Yeah. And there would have been one more because I reckon Aaron Lord was one that stepped up and played well. Liam Pickering was another one that stepped up and played really well. And I can't remember the other two, but I know they were the three that didn't play. 
Yeah, yeah, and, I, and you're right. I think there was, I think there was four in total, and so we we sort of all came together and said, "Hey, let, let's let's not give up on this. Let's let's actually." I, I remember the the discussion because Tim Darcy and myself and and um, yeah, there, there was sort of a, a group of us. Um, I think uh, I'm just trying to think whether Yates was still playing then. Maybe not, but there was a group. There was a group of us that that would always pull together. And and try and work our way through it, and 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 try and um, override you know some of that um, you know lack of um, being positive in, in in a way. And so we we got together, pulled the group together, and just say, hey, let's let's really dial into this and give it our best shot. We think we can win it, and we backed in those younger guys that come in. Aaron Lord had an amazing game; like it's probably one of the best games he ever played. Um, and and we just we just gathered momentum um, you know, early and continued that, and it was I, I, it's still one of the great wins that I've been involved in um, that one, and and so it was an amazing final series, you know, as you talked about the the uh, Footscray win, the North Melbourne win as well, and then to go into the grand final, we were exhausted by the time we got to the grand final, you know, we it wasn't our best performance, it was probably the biggest losing margin. Um, by a long way, um, that particular um, grand final in in '94, I knew my time was up. Um, you know, it was time for someone else. I'd been there a number of times, couldn't get the job done. So um, I started early, which you've acknowledged in terms of how how quickly I started to play. I played a lot of games in a row early in my career as well. I think at one stage I got to sort of about ninety something straight without missing a game, and you know all that sort of adds up. You're also then doing a a, a bricklaying um, job as well, and so that that started to take its toll. I think I finished when I was about um, twenty nine, um, and I finished at uh, that time, and and just yeah, just wrapped to have had the uh, opportunity I did. O'Sullivan in the pocket, Brown with him, strength by O'Sullivan. McGrath looks for a free kick. It's Willing now. Well played, Stephen Hocking. It was fantastic footy. He comes away from the back pocket. I want to ask you at the end of my podcast. I usually ask a, a quick handball, a few quick handball questions, talk. But I'm going to ask you about one individual at the moment, and that's Gary Ablett. What was it like running around with Gaza? And you spent quite a few seasons. Obviously, he finished at the end of or the start of '97 when he hurt his knee. But you would have spent a lot of seasons with the great number five. You know, what was it like running aside him? Oh, look, he was extraordinary, Trent. He, he could just do things that um, us mere mortals couldn't do. <laughs> he was just. Um, yeah, he 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 was, uh, you know, without doubt the most naturally gifted footballer I've ever seen. Um, yeah, his power and speed ratio was just extraordinary, um, and just the instinctive nature that he he had. You know, I, I think one of the great things about footy is um, allowing players to play an in- instinct, and Mel- Malcolm Blight allowed and encouraged. Us all to play that way. Um, I remember Malcolm when he first came here. He he really challenged me early because I, I'd sort of been developed into a tagger, and Malcolm didn't value taggers in football at all. He pulled me aside and just said, "If you're going to continue to play that, you won't have a career whilst I'm coach. So you know you sort of need to get back finding the ball and 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 doing a little more than just uh, stopping someone." Um, and so I blended the way he wanted to play and that natural discipline that I developed as a as a tagger, and and that was the ability of Malcolm to what you know he would bring out players. Uh, Gary Ablett's 
you know, senior, he 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 just um, underpinned him in a way which Gary had not encountered before, and allowed him to play. And he was inventive. And you know, when in, in my role at the AFL, sort of going back there and not back there, but getting the opportunity to go there and, and work there for four years, one of the things that I I was really um, strong on was getting the game back to being more instinctive um, and and plugging in greater risk um, back into the game, which enables the player to have greater ownership of of their decision-making. And it was very deliberate, that approach, because as much as I was a dour defender, what I admired most and loved most was um, the ability that people like Gary Ablett Sr., um, Peter Dacos, um, you know, my brother, you know, all the great players, Couch and so forth, what they brought to the game. And they were, in my, in my view, you know, those great players are the most important piece of, of our sport. Yep. And, and so the game needs to be able to support them. I think Malcolm Blight did that incredibly well. And, you know, I'm forever thankful that uh, that's how he coached us. I'm going to give you a couple of quick uh, handball questions, Hawk, and I've really appreciated the chat, mate. It's been great to touch base with you. I'm going to give you three names, three extra long players that you have, would have ran alongside of. And just I want you to share me one word to describe these uh, these three players. So the first one's Paul Couch. Oh, just um, one one word. Um, uh, gifted. Robert Scott. Consistent. And another bloke you would have played a bit of uh, backline footy with is Michael Mansfield. Talented. Who is the teammate that you enjoyed hanging around the most? And I suppose, I suppose when I say teammate of, uh, you know, having a beer or a bit of banter, who is the one that stands out, you know, during your journey? Oh, look, there's a list of them. And, and you know, I feel sort of, um, I, I probably feel like I'm letting a few people down, but I, I loved, um, I loved the company of Tim Darcy. Um, uh, Tim and I um, were very fortunate to make a junior representative team that uh, went to Ireland, um, and I didn't know Tim at the time. He was he was obviously an up and coming junior player in Geelong. I was from Country Cobram. We trained out at Waverley Park. John Dugdale was appointed um, as the uh, coach of that team. He selected the team. It was you know uh, young junior footballers from right across. Victoria was selected out of the Herald Shield. Um, I got to know Tim in Ireland. We went over there with Harry Beitzel and Alan Swab and Jack Hamilton, which are just incredible names in football. And we we toured Ireland for three weeks and then had a week in in London to wrap up the trip. We beat um, the All Ireland team, junior team, um, three zip, um, you know, in in that tour as well. Um, we we're the first junior team to, to travel over there. And so I got to know Tim and and you know, he, he was a rascal on that trip over there. He, he loved a um, – he, he was he was driven by trying Guinness. Um, so, you know, he regularly found his way out of um, the accommodation that we had. John, uh, John Dugdale loved um, catching them out and, and then putting on a early morning training session, which uh, in Ireland at the time – in the middle of the winter was freezing cold. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, so, so uh, you know, he's this, he's this young Cobram, you know, 16-year-old, never been out of Cobram, um, <laughs> maybe been to Melbourne, that's about it, and I'm, I'm over in Ireland and Tim Darcy's like, 
you know, he, he's not not my chaperone, but certainly uh, I, I looked up to him and then to have him when I arrived here as a teammate. Um, and I still, to this day, I caught up Das down at, uh, um, which is often the case at our age profile now, down at John Devine's funeral in Hobart. And, um, and you know, we spent a bit of time down there together because we both played under John. And, yeah, he's just a wonderful person, Tim. Last question, and this one's uh, yeah, a bit of jovial about it. Your brother Gary had one of the greatest off-field footy moments. It was repeatedly shown on the footy show when he slipped on the hot dog stand. I'm interested, was there much brotherly banter or family banter about the incident? No, look, I, I think from his point of view, um, it's been played so many times. Like it's, yeah, you, know, you, 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 you can't, um, you can't dial that up any further than what it. <laughs> I think Channel 9 have just dined out on that regularly, haven't they? Yeah, unfortunate. Steve Hocking, been an absolute pleasure to uh, catch up with you and, and reminisce about your footy journey at the Geelong Cats, and we wish the Cats and yourself all the very best of luck for the rest of 2023. Thanks, Trent. Thanks for the opportunity and, and the invite. Uh, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed uh, reminiscing. At the top, he comes to Hocking. Steve Hawking's away, down towards half-foot, beautiful kick, moving into space as Brownless, hits the ground running. That's the end of episode number 60. If you've missed any previous episodes, you can catch them all on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Amazon Music. We're on all the social media platforms, so drop us a line on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter on any particular episode you've enjoyed or a guest you would love to hear. If you would like to support the podcast, can do so via the website Buy Me A Coffee, search the 90s Club Footy Podcast to show your support. That is the end of season number six of the 90s Club Footy Podcast. We are having a two-week break before returning with the opening guest of season number seven, former Richmond and Fitzroy full forward, Jeff Hogg. It's tough, it's rugged, it's good, solid AFL football. 